Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts. Uh, I got Hannah halfway done with residency Abrams. How are you doing, <laughs> Hannah? I'm doing great. I think it's nine days until I'm halfway done. <laughs> yeah, but by the time this comes out, you'll be more than halfway done. Nobody's Probably. counting. Uh, yeah. You're definitely counting, and that's and, totally uh, fine. <laughs> and Avi Cooper, how are you doing, Avi? I'm like halfway to my fifth year as an attending, I guess. <laughs> Well, you got to be more than halfway done with interview season, right? Or actually, that's long past past gone. They just had fellowship guys. match. Oh yeah, no, no, we're like we're well into um, <sighs> you know clinical competency committees and all the good ACGME stuff. This is, you, you could tell I'm a hospitalist. I have no idea what's going on with fellowship interviews. Um, well, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to examine an odd limitation of the antibiotic daptomycin. Specifically, why we don't use it to treat bacterial pneumonias. Uh, so, Avi, why don't we start by you telling us what gives, what is going on? So, I feel like this is one of those clinical pearls that everyone kind of learns in medical school, but most don't fully understand the mechanism for why daptomycin doesn't effectively treat pneumonia. And, like, this was certainly true for me. But the mechanism is at play is really, really interesting. And of course, there are lots of different kinds of pneumonia. There's viral pneumonias, organizing pneumonias, eosinophilic pneumonias, all these great pneumonias that I diagnose and treat as a pulmonologist. But during this episode, when we say pneumonia, uh, we mean bacterial pneumonia. And so to remind our audience and refresh myself from medical school, daptomycin is a bactericidal antibiotic that we use mostly to treat gram-positive bacterial infections. And we hear a lot about it sort of as not functioning in pneumonia, but what evidence is there that it actually is not effective in treating lung infections? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And so there's an actually in vitro animal and clinical human data demonstrating that daptomycin doesn't effectively, or perhaps a better way to put it is it doesn't reliably treat pneumonia. So a study in the Journal of Infectious Diseases from 2005 showed that daptomycin didn't effectively treat streptococcal or MRSA pneumonias in mice, that based on its mechanism and spectrum of action, you would expect it to effectively kill those bacteria in the lung. So in humans, daptomycin had lower cure rates for community-acquired pneumonia compared to ceftriaxone in one study, although 75% of patients treated with daptomycin alone did have clinical cure. So this suggested that it's maybe less effective than our standard community-acquired antibiotic treatment regimens, but perhaps it does retain some efficacy. And honestly, it's hard to say, you know, because after those studies came out, it would now be considered substandard of care to use daptomycin to treat pneumonia. So it's probably a question that we won't probably ever answer, but it's considered to be an unreliable antibiotic for pneumonia. Right. And even if it has some efficacy, it, we can say with pretty high confidence that it's inferior to other antibiotics like ceftriaxone. Is that, is that, is that right? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. So, all right. So then there must be something about daptomycin that explains why it doesn't work in the treatment of bacterial pneumonias. So, so what is, what's going on with that? Yeah, to I, I totally agree. And there must be something unique to this drug. So as to why it, it doesn't work in the lungs as well, or at least for pneumonia. And so- we need to start by looking at the structure of daptomycin and how it works to kill bacteria. So daptomycin is an 
interesting drug in that it's actually a lipopeptide. It has a hydrophilic or water-soluble peptide core, and then it has a lipophilic or fat-soluble tail. And it uses the fat-soluble tail to insert itself into bacterial membranes and cell walls. It apparently needs calcium also around to be able to do this, but we're not going to focus as much on that part of the mechanism. Either way, once inserted in, you know, once it is inserted into the the cell wall and the membrane, daptomycin physically disrupts the integrity of these structures, particularly the membrane of the bacteria. And this disruption allows for uncontrolled potassium efflux out of the cell. And this efflux of potassium leads the bacterium basically being unable to maintain a normal membrane potential, which leads to failure of cellular machinery and then to cell death. So that's how it kills bacteria. Yeah, it's not- That sounds pretty bactericidal. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, of of the ways to be cytal, like destroy the cell membrane and like get rid of action potential. That sounds pretty effective. Yeah, it's like membrane attack complex level of just like poke a <laughs> hole in it <laughs> and it will die. Um, yeah, it's not exactly like our sort of like typical bacteriostatic <laughs> mechanisms. Like no no ribosomes are being affected here. And so. Can, can you help us kind of frame that in context of the question of like why daptomycin doesn't or, or maybe is less effective for treating pneumonia? I think if I had just taken step one, I would have like parroted back to you that there was something about surfactant deactivating dapto, but I don't know that I would have really understood that fully. Yeah. And that was exactly where I was when I started learning about this, something about surfactant. And I didn't really know much more than that. And I think that's probably true for uh, most people that have some familiarity with the, the mechanism or the, why daptomycin is um, less effective for treating pneumonia. And so, and that's correct. Pulmonary surfactant definitely plays a key role. And Hannah, do you mind summarizing what pulmonary surfactant actually is and what it does? I would be delighted to. Um, so surfactants are sort of like detergent, right? They have a lipo. So surfactant, pulmonary surfactant, is a lipoprotein that has both a fat and a water soluble component. There is the phospholipid component of the surfactant, um, specifically dipalmatoyl phosphatidylcholine, which I just happened to remember today, and it's produced by type two pneumocytes. So the way that it works in the lungs is to reduce the surface tension at the air-liquid interface in the lung. And the idea of that is to reduce the amount of effort that it takes to to keep breathing because the, the alveoli don't completely collapse with every breath, and therefore it's easier to re-expand them with every breath. So the, the way that surfactants work sort of as detergents or the way that I was always taught to remember them is that they have a, a part that's hydrophilic, so water-soluble water and a part that's hydrophobic and not water-soluble, and that they can the hydrophobic part can worm its way into things like fat and solubilize it. That's why detergents pick up grease and then can wash it away in water. So it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool molecule um, that does a lot of really important things in the lungs, maintaining compliance, preventing atelectasis, regulating airway moisture, and regulating innate and adaptive immune responses. So surfactants, overall pretty cool. A surfate of roles, you could say. I am extremely happy that you asked uh, Hannah that question and not <laughs> me because I don't think I could have done that. But having listened to that uh, explanation, it, it sounds like surfactants and daptomycin are very similar in construction in the sense that they're both lipoproteins. 
so I'm curious as to what happens when you mix the two of them together, as for example, you might do if you give someone with a bacterial pneumonia um, a dose of daptomycin, and that daptomycin goes to the lung, which has surfactant. Yeah, and a- as it happens, it's a great question. If you add surfactant to daptomycin in vitro, you see almost immediate loss of antibacterial activity for the daptomycin. Essentially, just stops working right away. Okay, so that is the part that doesn't make sense to me. Why why does that happen? Well, so remember that daptomycin has that hydrophobic tail that to be able to kill bacteria, it needs to insert into their cellular membranes. And there was a really cool experiment published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases in 2005 that showed a striking finding. If you combine surfactant and daptomycin, the surfactant surrounds and like literally traps the daptomycin molecules sort of like like Hannah like you really poignantly beautifully put in terms of you know the way that um, detergents and soaps wash away grease by surrounding them it's essentially what surfactant does to daptomycin um, and the surfactant then sort of acts like a, a decoy um, because it traps the daptomycin in these lipid aggregates that makes perfect sense. And it also sounds like the perfect way to get an antibiotic to not work in the lungs. They just trap it with surfactant. Yeah, and it's totally. And pulmonary surfactant, it sequesters daptomycin via its hydrophobic tail, that which basically prevents daptomycin from having access to the bacterial membranes. And therefore, it, if you can't have access to it, you can't disrupt it. And so in effect, daptomycin's very mechanism of action precludes its ability to effectively treat pneumonia, which is, I I just thought that was so cool. Just completely foiled by the lung itself. Like, like, not this antibiotic, not today. Not today. Um, But so it seems like really this should only happen in parts of the alveoli where there is surfactant. But we talked about like, you know, what about maybe in bloodborne pulmonary infection, so like septic pulmonary emboli, or like if there's an intrapulmonary abscess where there's not nice inflated alveoli, does it work there? And that, you know, it's a really great point. And I don't, I don't see a lot of data about abscesses per se, but at least for septic pulmonary emboli, there is some data to suggest that daptomycin can treat septic pulmonary emboli. Um, there was a small clinical trial from 2008 in the Journal of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy where daptomycin was compared to vancomycin and gentamicin for MRSA bacteremia with, from right-sided endocarditis. And so in the subset of patients with pulmonary septic emboli, the clinical cure rates were the same between daptomycin and the vancomycin-containing regimen. And of course, we are not recommending the use of daptomycin in that context. This is a podcast that is purely educational, and we make no <laughs> clinical recommendations on the show whatsoever. But it is intriguing that it seems to be perhaps more effective, like you said, Hannah, in infections where surfactant isn't kind of surrounding the bacteria. All right. So I've learned a ton already, but I want to learn more. So what else do you got for us? So do either of you remember which laboratory value we have to monitor while patients are on daptomycin? Uh, I recall it being uh, CK. Yes, exactly. And like in our like health system, like you you like can't order daptomycin without like getting a CK level <laughs> in a week. <laughs> so it's something that's kind of automated for us. And 
we have to monitor CK levels while patients are on daptomycin to screen for rhabdomyolysis. And so if you think about it, it actually makes perfect sense that daptomycin could cause rhabdomyolysis. You know, when the when the daptomycin molecule encounters muscle cell membranes, the theory is that it it intercalates into those membranes and causes initial damage to the cell. And so those muscles are full of CK, and then with the membrane damage done by the daptomycin, they release that CK into the blood. And so if that damage is allowed to continue, which again, if you kind of um, if you didn't check for the CK and you weren't monitoring for the early signs of disruption of the membrane, um, then you could get full clinical rhabdomyolysis from the drug. And again, I'm I'm I didn't I don't know that this is as well kind of worked out. Like why muscle specifically is a problem and not other me- membranes in our body. Um, I don't know, um, but that is seems to be the theory as to why daptomycin can cause rhabdomyolysis, which is sort of a unique, um, again, a unique side effect. So mm-hmm. it all kind of comes back to antibiotics and soap. That is really, really, really cool. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, Avi, you and I were reflecting about this um, you know, earlier, but I don't know. I just hearing about this topic, reading about it when you first posted the tutorial, I, I really feel like this is a great example of something where you know, kind of everyone learns earlier on in their training. You know, oh, daptomycin is in, inactivated by surfactant. I mean, I feel like I could walk around my hospital and you know, point to any house staff or attending doctor and be like, tell me about daptomycin in the lung. They'd be like, oh, surfactant, inactivated by surfactant. But I I really don't think anyone, including myself, by the way, could offer anything other than that cursory statement. And I feel like the the fuller explanation that you've you've given us here is just so fascinating. And I and I also feel like it kind of demonstrates that knowing the mechanism of action can actually be helpful at times. To understanding the limitations of the drug, and in this case, with the the muscle breakdown, also helps us to remember potentially, you know, some of the side effects. I don't know. I just this is just really cool. Yeah, th- this was definitely a, a topic that I was really looking forward to bringing to the podcast because I, I agree with you, Tony. That um, I think this is what we're trying to do with this with this show is to kind of scratch the surface and and try to unroof some of the assumptions that we have in terms of you know, maybe cursory understandings of how things work and try to take that deeper dive into why things work the way they do. And and so I think I think the daptomycin story is a really cool one because it can't work well in the in, in the alveoli. It, is, it just can't. <laughs> it know? is just not adaptoed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was. I was going to say, I have like a newfound respect for daptomycin now. Like it's like poking holes in things. I don't know. That's just that's incredible. But it's got its kryptonite. It you know it yes. pokes holes in things. It's a wonderful drug, but it, it apparently has its kryptonite, and it's 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 kind of like its kryptonite is is like from the same planet because it's also a lipoprotein. Yeah, it's 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 like I know it's really like they should work well together. They're both kind exactly. of surfactants. Anyway. Incredible stuff. No um, ribosomes I, were heard in the making of this episode. <laughs> the, exactly. the treating of this infection with aftermath. Um So, Avi, can you give us your take-home points? Absolutely. So, daptomycin kills bacteria by disrupting bacterial membranes via fat-soluble tail. And it's less effective than other antibiotics at treating pneumonia because pulmonary surfactant traps daptomycin in lipid aggregates, which blocks the drug's access to the bacteria themselves which is really a unique organ-specific inhibition. And serum creatine kinase, or CK elevation, and the risks of rhabdomyolysis likely results from the same mechanism with impacts on the integrity of the skeletal muscle membrane. 
It's coming from inside the house. Okay, that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you as always for joining us. And as a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed show notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with BCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. So for more information, visit ce.bcuhealth.org slash curious clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the curious clinicians.